Wonderful. Last week, we began, as the beginning of a brand new year, this series that we're calling Spiritual Formation. Uh, several months ago, the Lord began to deal with my heart about what we were to do and where we were to go as a congregation, and took me back in the scriptures to a passage in the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 42, where it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And that grabbed my attention. Lord, what is this? This was formative for the, for the early church. The church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. And from that day, this was the formula that God seemed to use in establishing that work. A work that ultimately would would come to be known by the leaders of, of the entire world. These men have turned the world upside down with their message. Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. We're going to break those down over the next four months. What each of those represent in the relationship to the church and our mission and our goal of reaching our community and being the church God called us to be. When we look at the Apostles' Doctrine, it's not a code, it's not a, a group of, of, of statements of faith, it's not this cardinal doctrine, that one, it is literally the Word of God. They had only one Bible at that time, it was from Genesis to Malachi. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the Apostles, they didn't have the Epistles, they didn't have the Revelation, they didn't have the book of Hebrews, they didn't have any of that because they had not been written yet. But what they had was God's word to them as they knew it. And they continued in that book. It's not just a, a group of writings. It is the heart of God. It's his autobiography given to us that we could know him. And this was what they were in every day. They were in the word of God, teaching the word of God. So when we look at the apostles' doctrine, what we're dealing with is the Bible. We're talking about the imperative of the Bible. Last week, I shared the message, the, the bread of heaven. It's, 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 it's a literal thing. God uses the word, the bread of heaven, to identify with the word of God. Capital W-O-R-D is the noun, word of God. It is God's word. And if you remember, we talked about in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What is that word? It's Jesus. And when we take and read this book, the more we're in this book, the more Jesus gets into us. Amen? How many of you know you could use a little more Jesus? You know what You know what? somebody that, that is a... What, what's the word? Don't you hate it when a word just goes right through your brain? Just right through your brain. You ever had that happen? Kind of reminds me of the grandma and a little boy come up to him and up to her and she says, he says, Grandma, where did poo come from? Well, how do you explain that? So gently she explained it. And he looked a little puzzled and he says, well, then where did Tigger come from? Some of you will catch that tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry about that. Jesus. Never mind. 
when you look at the word word or you look at the word bread in the Bible, those are symbolic words. They have a spiritual truth behind a literal word. And we talked about that last week with the bread of life. The bread of life was symbolic of the word of God. Well, this morning, I want to look at something else. In, in, as we looked at that passage in, in, in Psalm chapter 105, it says, And the people asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with bread of heaven. Quail were literal, bread of heaven, manna. It was a literal bread. And he opened up the rock and water, literal water gushed out. And it ran into dry places like a river. As we spoke last week of bread being literal and yet a spiritual meaning behind it, is it possible that, the, the, that this water of life has a spiritual meaning as well? Is it possible that the very rock this water of life came from, is it possible that it has a spiritual meaning as well? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read Paul's writings when he says, and all drank. If you go back to verse 3, it would say, and all ate of the same spiritual bread. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So we, we see the, the literal dynamic. We see the expression of the word explaining itself, if you will, in the dynamics of the, of the spiritual connotation. This is a spiritual book written by a spiritual being to be heard by spiritual people. This book does not make any sense to somebody that does not know Jesus. This book does not make any sense to the carnal mind, to the mind that is not set on the things of God. This book does not mean anything to somebody that does not know God or Christ. Can you say amen to that? How many of you know before you came to know the Lord, this book was a little bit mysterious? I, I can remember after I just came to know the Lord, and, and I, I was reading, and I, I got into the book of Revelation. Not the best place to go when you're a brand new believer, because it's a weird book. It's got some strange stuff in there. And, and I, I shared with you last week how I, 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 got, I got into this thing, and I began to realize if I took the nouns that were strange to me in the book of Revelation, went back into a concordance, and there were a gazillion passages of Scripture, and I went back into each of those and took that word in context to each of those Scriptures. I found a definition of what that word would represent, and then I would take that word, and I'd go right back into Revelation and put that definition in that place. It was amazing how all of a sudden the book of Revelation came alive. It began to make sense. Still weird, but it, it made sense. <laughs> Psalms 100, verse one, or Psalms 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scorner, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, listen to this, he meditates day and night. Say that with me. He meditates day and night. That's critical to this. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. How many of you want to prosper? You know, there's been, there's been a, a 
a teaching over the last 30, 40 years that has somewhat brought indignity to the Word of God. We look at the word prosper, and many, many people have determined that that means for financial gain or pros prospering your, your wallet or your pocket. You give and you're going to get. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not against all of it, but that's not what that's speaking about. This is talking about the prosperous soul. I want my marriage to prosper. I want my children's lives to prosper. I want my relationship with my kids and my wife to prosper. I want my relationship with people around me to prosper. I want my influence to have such an impact because of God's grace on my life that it impacts people's life. I want every aspect of my being to prosper in the glory of God. Can you say amen to that? And, and that's, that's what I really say, see he's saying here. It's interesting that in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he says that this, if you meditate on this book, you will prosper and have good success. I cannot meditate on something I have not read. You cannot meditate on something that is guaranteed to give you a prosperous life if you have not read it. We must be in the Word. That's why we have taken this initiative this year to begin the year and to go through this year as a congregation to read the Word of God together. I just challenge you to do that. I, I know that Pastor Lauren and Pastor Jeff are there. They have given invitation. I'm, going to, I'm on there, and you, many of you, if you haven't lined up with them, you can line up with me. We're going to read the Word of God together. We want to take you through the journey of this incredible book. Glory to God. You're in for the ride of your life. Some of you are just not that impressed. <laughs> Whatever he does prospers. What would that change in your life if you actually believed the Bible? If you actually believed that this book would change your life, what would it change? Everything you need to know in life is found in this book. Then why in heaven's name aren't we in it? Just a thought. Water represents the word. Okay? Just as bread represented the word, water represents the word. But let me change that just a bit. Water represents words, plural. There are words of God, but Satan has words, and so do you. Words are imperative. Satan's word and our words can be at war with God's word. Did you know that? Satan's words always are at war with God, but our words can be aligned with him so that our words literally are in war with the Word of God. There is a war going on, by the way, and we're caught in that war. Satan wants to drown you. He wants to flood your life with words. Have you ever listened to the news lately? I mean, there is this cacophony of words that's just, it's, it's a flood of words trying to eradicate any hope, any desire, changing your mind, formulating you into a certain opinion group. Our country is divided because of words. 
words that are flooded out on you every day in every means, by every focus point, everywhere around, by all of these talking heads on television. I wish they'd just shut up. Oh, pastor, you sound like you've got an anger issue. Please hear my heart. We're being flooded with words that change the attitude of our life. And we need to recognize where those words come from. Satan wants to drown you with those things. He's trying to destroy your life. Revelation is a tough book. But in this book, there are some interesting words. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, So that great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. I like there's a couple things in here. That serpent of old. <laughs> One translation says that old serpent. You know, I got a birthday card from my son, and it says, God has a special word for you. Opened it up, it says, I'll see you soon. <laughs> you know, I don't understand those kind of words. I'm just not too sure about that boy. He might not be in my will. But, <clears throat> but, but, but that old serpent... That old serpent called the devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now listen to verse 15. So the serpent, Satan, spewed water, words, out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. The flood of words, the flood of lies, the flood of distortion, the flood of deception of words. And she was caught into this vastness of all of the flood of the words of Satan. And when she believed the words, she sinned. And Satan is not changing his tune. The war of words is coming at you every day. Satan is coming after you with a flood of words that do not agree with the word of God every day. And it's exactly what happened to Eve. Satan's first priority is for you to believe a lie. And with that, he can manipulate you to do almost anything. It's a war of words. Matthew says it this way. Therefore... Whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus is speaking this. Whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus' words, his words, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Who's the rock? Christ. And the rains descended and floods. Floods, what are those? Words of Satan came and winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Who? Jesus, when you read the Bible through from cover to cover, you find out one, it's one book, it's one message, it's amazing. It doesn't have 40 authors, it has one author and 40 writers. God wrote this book, and he's, he, he used 40 different men to be his scribes to put it into place for us. It's God's word, his heart, his passion, his autobiography given to us that we would have authority over all the words that the adversary brings against our lives. Psalms 69 says it this way, Save me, O God, for the water, Satan's words, have come up to my neck. You ever been up to here with words? It's Satan's words. 
I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I I still must restore it. Verse 14, deliver me out of the mire. And let me not sink, let me be delivered from those who hate me. And out of the deep waters, let not the flood water overflow me. Let not the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit. And a pit always represents hell and demonic spirits. Let not the pit shut its mouth on me. You've all had those words, haven't you? You ever had a word come to you when you're going through a physical thing and a word something like this, you're never going to make it. You're going to die young, just like your dad. You're going to get cancer. You're going to have heart disease. You're going to have this. You're going to have that. Anybody here ever have those kind of words come at you? I don't, I want you to hear me. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. I was listening to, I don't remember who it was, it might have been Dr. Jeremiah this morning, and he made a statement, and I I love the statement, a man in the will of God is immortal and will not die until God calls him home. Come on, devil. Do you all understand what I'm saying? We, we have the word of God. We don't have to worry about the torments of the, of the enemy. I, I love this word. It says, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. This is the enemy's voice. The floods have lifted up their waves. They've been big and tumultuous. The Lord is, is on high and is mightier. Sherry and I, last Friday, we decided to go up to Yahats. We were going to go to the adobe for lunch. It was an amazing storm going on. The seas were amazing, 25, 30-foot swells. It was absolutely spectacular. Wind was blowing. It was literally, it was, you'd be driving in your car, and you, you didn't turn the wheel. It was amazing. <laughs> Sherry was going, oh, and I'm going, wow. <laughs> and we get all the way to the adobe, and, 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 and I let her out the hard. I mean, the, the door, the, it about blew the door off. She could hardly get out. And she got in, and guess what? They were closed. It was amazing. So we came back to Florence. What I'm trying to say is I looked at that tumultuous sea. I looked at those huge waves. I looked at the wind. You could feel it. And it hit me because I'd been, I'd been kind of Letting this brew in my spirit. Yes, the enemy comes with a flood, but my God is mightier. He didn't make that beautiful ocean, He didn't make this gorgeous place. My God made that. Proverbs says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. Proverbs says it this way in chapter 6, verse 2. You are snared by the words of your mouth. How many times do we agree with the enemy? 
How many times do we agree with the dissenting voices around us? And when we agree, we're snared by our own words. I want my words, I want my words to line up with this word because this word has hope and this word has power and this word has life and this word is truth. But if I don't get in this word, I won't have those words. If I don't read this word, I won't know those words. If I don't meditate on these words, I won't have the victory over those words. Reading through the Bible is a wonderful thing, but we can do that like rote. We can just read and read and read, and then we chuck it off, and we've, well, we've done our reading for the day. But listen, it says, and meditate, meditate. I, I read, and then I ask the Lord, in the reading, Lord, bring a word to me. And a passage, one verse, one word sometimes leaps off that page. And I'm finding myself ruminating over that all day long. And all of a sudden, God brings, he births something in me. He brings life and hope when sometimes it doesn't feel very hopeful. We agree with the words of Satan because we don't know the words of God. We agree with the words of Satan because we don't know the words of God. And when I know the words of God, I have hope. Listen to this, Isaiah 59, 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. How many of you have ever heard that passage before? I want you to hear it in its original language and the way that the sentence articulates. Because the way it's been translated here, in my opinion, from what I understand in the original writings, is a little, little bit off. We read it, the spirit of the, when the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. But in the original language, it's translated this way. When the enemy comes in like, when the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against him. Do you see a little difference there? How many of you know that the enemy does come in? But my God raises up a standard against him. Hallelujah. Well, I'm getting excited, and I probably should settle down. My watch is just asking me if I fell again. <laughs> Jesus was taken into the wilderness, and there he was tempted after a 40-day fast. We only have three of the temptations that were shared. I'm certain that there were probably more. But there were three temptations that he had. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, quoted the scriptures, the word of God to overcome temptation, how much more do you and I need to? Do you hear that? If Christ, 
God's only begotten Son. God the Son, the second person in the Trinity, Jesus Christ, if he quoted temptation to over, if he quoted the scriptures to overcome temptation, how much more do we? But if we don't know those scriptures to overcome those temptations, we become cat food. The enemy goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Secondly, Satan tries to starve us. Not only does, does he try to drown us and flood us, he tries to starve us. He wants us to flood our he wants to flood us with words that starve us from the word of God. He wants to take the word of God from us. He knows the only thing that has power over him is God's word. Bread and water represent the word of God. Amos says it this way, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of God. Now notice it doesn't say a famine of the word of God. It's a famine of hearing the words of God. Do you capture that? We need to purposefully, volitionally, willfully be in this book. It is a most amazing book. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said they wanted to, they were struggling with, with cigarettes. They were trying to break that habit. It's a tough habit. I think nicotine is a harder habit to break than heroin. It is a difficult, difficult habit. And we're never here condemning people because it's a habit. It's a challenge. It's tough. People struggle with it. We need to pray for them. We need to love them and encourage them. But I shared with them. They said, did you ever have? Yes, as a young man, I did. How did you break that habit? Well, I prayed and asked God, but I did something else. I used to carry my cigarettes right here. So I put a Gideon's Bible there. And you know, it's kind of a nervous thing, and you, you pull that out. And I found that if I just opened it up and read, the first thing that came to my mind, it just helped me beyond words. It breaks the habit. It breaks that chance. It, and it's amazing that sometimes some of those words were profound. And Judas went out and hanged himself. <gasps> Ooh, that's not a good one. And I opened, go and do likewise. No, that's not the way. We, <laughs> don't do that. The point of what I'm saying is get in the book. You'll find it so truthful. Mark says it this way, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes, what? Immediately. Not tomorrow, not next week. He comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. I'm preaching a message to you. I'm doing my best. I'm giving it everything I can to help you understand how important it is to be in the Word. And the enemy is right here, right now, trying to say, you don't need to listen to that. That's a bunch of spooey. That's for preachers. That's for somebody that's not for you. I've got news for you. You're listening to the lie. And the enemy would come to try and steal the precious Word from your life. You ever been reading the Bible and all of a sudden you get to the end of the passage and you went, what did I just read? Because your mind had been on a thousand other vacations. It had gone to another place altogether. You're reading the Bible and all of a sudden you find yourself going over next week's calendar and you're going over last week's events. And then you, you got to go back and read it again. 
Well, keep reading it until it gets into your heart. The enemy wants to steal the word. He wants to steal that from you. You remember little Samuel in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Samuel, little guy. I don't have time to go into all of the background of him, but, but he was dedicated by his mother to be a child of God, to be a priest, if you will. And she took him to the house of Eli, who was a priest, and gave him to the Lord to be raised in that house. We're going to dedicate babies, but you get to take them home. I don't do diapers. That's toxic waste. I don't have anything to do with that. Hello. But little Samuel was brought to the house of Eli, and there he was. He was raised in this environment. He was raised to be a priest, a prophet of God. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Now the boy Samuel... The boy, Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli. He believed the word. He believed the book. He believed God. He was sensitive to hear the voice of the Lord. And he had heard God speak to him, Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up, and long story, he, he hears that. He's open to the Lord. It says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. The word of the Lord was rare. Rare in its original Hebrew means incredibly valued. It was there, but people were not valuing the word. It didn't hold value in their life. We live in a world today where this book is no longer valued. There was a day when this nation was founded on the principles of this book. It was valued. There was a day when it was valued to the point that you didn't just throw it around or you didn't just lay it down. It was valued. Not everybody may have believed it. Not everybody may have lived by it, but it was valued. Today, it's not valued. It's timeless. It's ageless. Over two millennia ago, this book was transcribed by God through righteous men of God who heard by the Spirit of God the truths that we have and hold in this book. And the God that breathed it upon their lives could see all generations and all cultures and all societal structure. And he saw America today in the 21st century. He did not edit the book to meet the culture of our day. He wrote this book for us to edit the culture of our day to this book. And it has to start here. It has to start here. Can you say amen? God was still speaking, but people weren't listening. Let me get to the last point of here. Satan wants to drown us, and he wants to steal the word and starve us. But Jesus wants to fill us. He wants to fill us to overflowing. I love the passage that we find in John chapter 4. It's my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. 
I love the story of Jesus where it says that he had needs to go through Samaria and he was on a journey. He was a Jew living in a Jewish culture and the Jews hated the Samaritans and vice versa. Talk about bigotry. Talk about discrimination. It's not new. Been around forever. And it was lived out in a daily basis between the Jew and the Samaritan. But Jesus made a statement. I have to go there. And he comes to Jacob's well in a place called Sychar. And there he meets a woman in the middle of the day. And his disciples go on into town. And he's sitting there. And he's having a conversation with her. And he says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, kind of. <laughs> Who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But the water I shall give you will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. One translation says it, a fresh bubbling spring dwelling inside of you. Oh, the more you get into this book, the more that artesian begins to dwell. Do you know that, that it, it starts on the inside? And it's effervescent. It goes to the outside. What God begins to do in here is seen out here. The joy that you have is seen by other people. Wouldn't that be something if people come up to you and said, I don't know what you've been on, but I'd like some. <laughs> you all understand what I'm saying? Amen. I think it would be a, a wonderful thing. I love that. I love that. Let me finish with this. We need this water that God wants to bring, this wellspring that comes from his word. He wants to fill us with it. It's interesting that Paul, in his writings in Ephesians chapter 5, he says these words, husbands, love your wives. How many of you ladies think that's a good word? Yeah. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. It's interesting that in the original it says gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. I want you to hear something. It says sanctify and cleanse her. It doesn't say justify. You see, we're justified through the blood of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. But And that, that work of justification works on our spirit. We're made of spirit, 
soul, and body. How many of you know that? I have a spirit. My spirit is going to be in the presence of God forever. And when I come to faith in Christ, the word says he puts in me a new spirit. Hallelujah. But I still have to deal with this soul thing. And this soul thing is made up of my intellect, my will, and my emotion. How many of you know that you struggle with your intellect, your will, and your emotion? You fight the battles in your will, your emotion, and your intellect. In your thinking, the processes of life, you deal with, that's where I fight my battles. My spirit, my spirit has been saved. My spirit doesn't sin. My spirit is in the presence of God. My spirit has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, justified in his presence by him. But he says, I'm being sanctified. That's a process. I'd like to say that I'm sanctified wholly, but my, my problem with that is some stupid guy drives in front of me and makes me hit my brakes, and I realize I'm not quite as sanctified as I thought I was. Y'all understand what I'm saying? How many of you have found your sanctification lacking on the road? Okay, the point of what I'm trying to share is, is that this process of being sanctified, it is a process. The way Paul writes it, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing, what does it say? Of water. What's the water? The word. The best thing you can do, ladies and gentlemen, is take a bath every day. Literally and spiritually. Amen? Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? In many of my Bibles, I have a note. It's a note that's, that I penned there many, many years ago. I'd just come to the Lord, and I'll never forget. I'd, I'd heard this statement. It was a statement by R.A. Torrey. And it simply says, this book will keep me from sin. Sin will keep me from this book. And may I challenge you. Join us in the word. Father, this morning, I thank you for every heart, every life, every person in this room. I thank you, Father, that you're on this journey with us in this life and that you have given to us your word, words that have life and truth, words that have hope. When we become discouraged and we go to your word, we find a word that brings uplift to our spirit. Oh, Father, how many times have I gone to your word when life seems so dark and foreboding only to find a word that says nothing is impossible to them to believe. All things are possible to them to believe. I see a story of the impossible, the people that have gone through challenges bigger than I'll ever know, and yet they overcame because your promises were there. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as we enter into this incredible journey of understanding your word, meditating on it, believing it, trusting it. Father, I pray for every heart and every life here this morning. There may be people here this morning that have never settled the account with you. They, they, they've never really fully recognized the need that they have for you. Lord, our relationship with you is not built on our performance of how good we are, how bad we were. But what have we done with the gift of Jesus? 
Have we invited you, Father, into our life? Have we asked you to forgive us of our sins? Lord, it's that simple. That's the beginning, and the rest is building upon that. 